Our Lord comes, and boy, wouldn't it be nice while we're sitting listening to a song like that, he were to come. That would be just, it's going to be joyous anyway, but it's really going to be joyous if we're listening to something like that. Speaking of songs, a few years ago, I, I heard a song by a country western singer, Guy's name is Chris Young. I don't know if you ever heard of him. That's the only song I've ever heard him sing. But uh, he sang a song called, I Hear Voices All the Time. It's the name of his song, I Hear Voices. Now, the song was not an admission of a mental disorder. It's not what it was about. But he insisted that the voices that he heard all the time were the voices of his parents, his grandparents, his relatives, all of those loving folks in his life that provided him with good, sound, loving advice. It was all about their influence in his, his life. And that those influences should not, could not, be ignored, discounted, or expelled. And how extremely important it is that we listen to those voices in our heads that comes from people that just loves us, who've loved us, who's provided counsel to us. I know I can still hear the voice of my dad in my head. Hardly a day's, day goes by that I don't wish I could ask him a question. And this week he's been, Friday he was gone 21 years ago. It never changes. You miss him. You wish you could ask him about some of the stuff that's going on. Ask him their advice. But whether it be my dad or my mom or my grandparents, or my in-laws, how important was their counsel, especially my grandmother. You know, I think it's because of my grandmother and her counsel and her witness and her lifestyle that I could have never been an atheist. I could have never been an atheist because... How can I not believe there's a God? Because my grandmother, who was so faithful, she talked to him every day. And she made sure I understood there was a God. Now, it was a while longer that I trusted him as my Savior. But I remember growing up, it was my grandmother's influence that convinced me there was a God in heaven, that that God loved me, and that I needed him and if I didn't trust in Him, I was going to die and go to hell. All of those lessons that I learned that I kept hearing in my head from her and from others were so important, so impactful to me. As a matter of fact, their legacy, their example, it's what's so important and probably one of the reasons I'm standing up here today that God used their example to bring me to this point. 
what you teach, what you live, how you live, extremely important. Amen? As a matter of fact, their influence and the voices that you hear in your head coming from them, the memories, basically it makes you want to say, I want your God to be my God. And where that is really pointed out, where that is so played out vividly, is in the book of Ruth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the influence and the legacy that Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, had on this Gentile woman. As a matter of fact, two women are mentioned in the Bible as being, or two books are named after two women in the Scriptures. One is Ruth, one is Esther. I think it's important to point out that Ruth was a Gentile who was influenced by the Jews. Esther was a Jewish who was influenced who influenced the Gentiles. And part of the story here is how the Jews influenced Ruth and how Esther influenced the Gentiles, which is part of God's program and plan for Israel all along. They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. They were to be His peculiar people. They were to be His nation of priests. So as you look at the book of Ruth, that storyline should jump out at us. When you study the book of Esther, and we'll get there eventually, when you study the book of Esther, that storyline should jump off the pages. This is the way God intended it, for the Jews to have influence on the Gentile nations, and, for, and both of those books bear that out. What a legacy. Look at Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Look at verse 16. Ruth, chap Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. And Ruth said, I entreat, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where you die, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Remember, Naomi had told both of her daughter-in-laws, go ahead and go back to your people. But the influence that she had on Ruth was so dramatic, was so telling, was so loving, was so powerful that Ruth uttered those words. I want your God to be my God. What a wonderful lesson that is. But folks, that's not the main lesson of the book of Ruth. The main point of the book of Ruth, the main point of this wonderful love story, fits with our study of Christ of the book. 
In the volume of the book, it's written of me, Hebrews tells us. Christ says in, throughout the Scripture, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Ruth, with its importance of legacy and, and reaching people and being an example, the primary point of the book of Ruth is that she desperately needed a Redeemer. She needed a kinsman redeemer. And that's what the point of Ruth is all about. Is who's going to step forward? Who's going to come and said, I'll take care of them. They can trust me to protect them. They can trust me to provide for them. They can trust me to rescue them. They can trust me to save them. Who's going to do that for Ruth? Well, we come across the man Boaz who throughout the book of Ruth, he is a type of Christ and what he's willing to do in order, for the, in, in order to save this, this woman. Christ of the book and Ruth is he is our redeemer, kinsman redeemer, if you will. It has to do with an ancient law It had to do with um, Leviticus 25 uh, 25 and Deuteronomy 25.5. It was called a Levirate marriage. It was part of the law that if your brother or another close kin was married to a woman and the brother passed away, then the brother who was not married was obligated by law to step in for that brother so that his inheritance would not be lost, so that his land would not be lost, so that his wife would not be destitute if she had no children to come alongside her. It's called Leveret marriage. Look at Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25. Start with verse 5. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. There we have the idea of kinsman redeemer. Remember that the children of Israel have just recently gone into the promised land. The land has been divided up. That possession was their riches. It was part of the promise of God. They were not to lose it. It was necessary that it be maintained. And for a woman to become a widower, It was devastating. It was dangerous. Uh, She would go from uh, poverty and despair. But with the kinsman redeemer, it would be life and wealth, or at least life. The whole book of Ruth is about that salvation. It's about someone coming along and saying, I will save them. 
And you know what's interesting about that as you go through the book of Ruth? Ruth becomes whose great-grandmother? David. She becomes David's great-grandmother. Don't think that was an important kinsman redeemer act? Look at Ruth 1.1. This, this position as kinsman redeemer was not only an act of love, but it was an absolute responsibility. It was an obligation. It had to take place. The word levite has to do with brother. It's a Latin word for brother. And it was so ingrained. Uh, look at Leviticus. Before you go to, uh, look at Leviticus real quick. Just to show you that it, it's what God intended. Because maintaining the land was so important. Leviticus 25, 25. Leviticus 25, 25, this was also part of it. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of the kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man hath none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom it, he sold it, that he may return unto his possession." You, you may scratch your head and you go, what kind of law is this? But all of this law was pointing to the work that Christ was going to do on our behalf. As a matter of fact, the book of Ruth is one book that was to be read in its entirety on which feast day? Passover. On the Passover. Because that's what it's all about. Is the Redeemer. The whole, the whole Passover was when I see the blood, I'll pass over. It was about salvation. It was about deliverance. It was about rescuing. And so the book of Ruth, that's what it's all about. What's interesting, it, was, it took place during the time of the judges. Ruth 1.1 That came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. Now that should jump out at us and tell us that there was something going on here that was not pleasing to God. Because one of the things that God had told Israel is that if I'm happy with you, I'm going to send the rain. If you are obeying me, I'm going to bless you with prosperity, with abundance. You'll have no need. But if there's famine in the land, you need to examine yourself, fellas, because something is wrong. So the book of Ruth starts out that there was famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, what jumps out at me when I look at that verse is the irony that this man was from Bethlehem, which means house of bread, and he's having to leave his country, his city, which means house of bread, because there's famine. Famine is a result of disobedience, apostasy. It was in the time of judges. 
and we studied just last week what all went on where every man did that which was right in his own eyes and the trouble you get into, men, when you do that and the wickedness and how God had to uh, five, uh, well, seven, seven times in the book of Judges they had that rebellion and then the repentance and then God will save them. And that just went on and on seven different times as God would raise up judges to bring Israel to repentance, to straighten them out. They would cry out. There would be that element of submission. God, we've sinned. They would repent. God would send a judge. He would deliver them. And then that process would start all over again. Seven different times that happened. Well, during one of those seven times, the Bible doesn't tell us when, but that's when this event in Ruth takes place. There's a famine in the land, which means it must have been in one of the downtimes when they were um, not obeying God. The Limelech takes his wife Naomi, verse 2, and the name of his two sons was Malon and Chilion, Ephorites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. I think they were there for about ten years. Well, something happens. Elimelech dies. But Naomi has two sons to kind of look after it. So, yeah, it's sad, it's bad, but she's not desperate. She has two sons. And those two sons have two daughters. Moabites. Uh, from Actually, the uh, Moabites descended from Lot. Remember when Abraham and Lot, and, and that Lot was a nephew to Abraham? And he went, so they, they, were, they were related in that fashion. But they were Gentiles. And so their two sons took these two Gentile women as wives. And then the two sons passed away. The two sons died. And that leaves them destitute. And so the answer for Naomi is to go back to Israel, go back to Bethlehem, and to send her two daughter-in-laws, you go back to your family. One of the daughters, daughter-in-laws, basically say, okay, but not Ruth, not Ruth. The influence that Naomi had on Ruth was so dramatic, was so caring, was so loving, pointed her in the direction of who the true and living God is, exactly what a Jewish individual was to do to point the Gentiles, to the true and living God. So she said, your people are going to be my people, your God's going to be my God. And so Ruth follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. Now, Ruth's, the name Ruth means beauty. So evidently she was a stunner. Evidently she was beautiful. 
We're going to see why I say that here in just a few minutes. Well, I'll tell you, Boaz notices her right off the bat. He, asked, he actually asked the, the guys that are uh, out in his field, who is that? Who is that? And they tell him. He wants to get to know her. Wants to get to know her. He even calls Ruth a virtuous woman. Do you know she is the only woman that I can find in the Bible that was called a virtuous woman? And it's her great, 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 great grandson, Solomon, who gives us what a virtuous woman is. And, you know, we wonder, well, was he talking about, about Bathsheba? Was, you know, he, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He knew women, but he, didn't know, he did, must have not known a virtuous woman. I wonder if he didn't have his grandmother in mind when he said, who can find a virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? Because she's the only other woman that's called a virtuous woman in the Scripture. So Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. Ruth clings to Naomi. Chapter 2, verse 1. See, Naomi was a smart, she understood the law. She understood the role and the responsibility and an obligation of the kinsman redeemer. So she's going to go back where she has a kinsman. She's smart. Because actually it is Naomi and Abimelech's property and heritage and legacy that Boaz is going to purchase and redeem. It is Naomi and her possessions that literally get redeemed. And Ruth being one of those because she was one of the son's wife. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. See, I don't think they were setting up Boaz in this fashion. I think the Bible tells us that Ruth has, uh, Naomi has a kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. But it's Ruth that says, hey, I have, let me go in the field and glean. And you've got to keep in mind that to go into a field for the woman that was destitute and glean and work, they, it was a dangerous thing to do. A woman could be taken advantage of. A woman, it was, it was not a safe thing to do. 
But Ruth was willing to do that. Again, who can find a virtuous woman? That description, as I read through what Ruth was willing to do, really fits this woman. And so she says, let me go into the field. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And hap was to light on a part, or the good news is what that word hap means, by chance, was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. It wasn't luck. It wasn't a coincidence. I believe this was God leading her in order to find this reception. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord be with, bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set up over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? See, I told you. It just leaves out the wow. Who is she? He noticed her. And the servant that was set out over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitess damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And then Boaz gives them instruction Oh, yeah, protect her, watch over her. And not only protect her and watch over her, but as you're gleaning, because see, those that were gleaning, they really could only pick up some of the stuff that was dropped. That's what the gleanings were all about, is you, the, 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 picking up the things that, that didn't get picked up in, in the initial harvest, and it would be few, it'd be a little, but it was something that would keep them alive. And Boaz says, you know, as you go along, drop something here and drop a little bit there and just kind of help her out. And they said, okay, and they said, and protect her. And so he goes to Naomi, uh, he goes to uh, Ruth, and he says, hey, don't go into any other field. You stay here. You, you follow my reapers. You stay connected to my handmaidens, the damsel who are working for me. Don't, don't go to any other field. You stay here. And he turned to servants. You watch out for her. So she goes, she works that day in the field, and, and she is blessed by the things that she collects, and she goes back to Ruth, uh, or to Naomi, and Naomi goes, well, where did you get all of this? Because I think it was unusual the amount that she was able to collect. She was impressed. And she said, well, I, I went to the field of Boaz. Boaz, that's the kinsman redeemer. As a matter of fact, the word is goel, and which means redeemer. The word redeemer is used 31 times just in this little four-chapter book. You don't think that's not important? The importance of a redeemer, the importance of somebody to save, somebody to rescue. And then they read this at the Passover. You don't think that's not pointing to Christ? Think again. Chapter 2, look at verse 12. Because I think this sums up exactly what Ruth needed 
and what God's intent was all along as an example to show what God's plan and purpose is. Verse 12 of chapter 2, The Lord recompense thy work and full reward be given thee of the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Look at the blessings, look at the salvation, look at the the glories that are going to come through trusting the God of Israel. This was all part of God's plan. Gentiles, how are you going to be saved? How are you going to be blessed? Through the testimony, through the witness of God's chosen people. That's what this is all about. And you've come and, and you're going to be sheltered under these, these wings. Verses 17 through 23 talks about how Boaz provides for Ruth. In Naomi, chapter 3, Naomi seeks redemption for Ruth. Verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz our kindred, our Goel, our Redeemer, with whose maidens you were with? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking, and it shall be when he lies down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. Remember, Naomi understood the practices, the culture. This is not talking about going and laying and having sexual relationship. As a matter of fact, where she tells her to lay down is right the opposite. You go and you lay down at his feet. You're humbling yourselves. You are reminding him of his role as kinsman redeemer to Naomi. You know, there's scriptures where it talks to Israel about wherever their feet were planted in the land, that is where you're, you're going to own. It had to do with rights, wherever the people had walked. And here, the uncovering of the feet, I think, is emphasizing wherever your feet have been, your feet owns that property, and I'm coming and subjecting myself, I'm submitting myself to you, Boaz, for you to carry out the work of kinsman, redeemer. It had nothing to do with sex. It had nothing to do with her being anything but what Boaz calls her. When he realizes it's her, he says, you are a virtuous woman. There'd been anything dirty involved? He wouldn't have said that. You're a virtuous woman. And here Ruth reminds him of what his role is. And he tells her, well, I, I, would, I would do that. I would be your kinsman redeemer 
I would be your Goel. I would, I, I understand I am obliged to do that, but you have somebody else that's before me, that's a closer kin to you. And you have to go to that person and ask him if he wants to be the Redeemer. And if he didn't want to do it, then I will do it. And sure enough, Boaz goes and he, he calls that fellow out before the council there at the gate. And he says, hey, I need to talk to you. And he explains to him the situation. And the guy says, oh, yeah, Naomi, I'll, I'll buy her place. I'll, I'll, I'll provide for her. Yeah, I'll buy it. I'll redeem it. And Boaz says, oh, and by the way, you have to marry Ruth. And the guy, the, whoever this was, he says, I, I can't. I, I can't. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. Look at verse 4, the last part of verse 4. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day you buy the field of the hand of Naomi... Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. That was, that was part of the rule. That was, that was part of how it worked. Then said Boaz, What day you buy the field from Naomi, you get Ruth as part of that. And the kinsman said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I... I mar my own inheritance, or I forfeit my own inheritance. Redeem my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. See, part of the redemption, part of being the Goel, part of being that kinsman redeemer, is you had to be willing. Matter of fact, there were several different things that went into that. Number one, you had to be kin. You had to be related. Blood-related. You had to be willing to redeem. You had to be free yourself and able to redeem. If you weren't free, you couldn't redeem somebody if your pockets were empty. If you didn't have the authority, you had to have the authority to redeem. Folks, if this is not a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. Talk about in the volume of the book it's written of me, Ruth is just full of pointing to Christ Jesus as the kins kinsman redeemer. And Boaz buys the land. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. Ruth goes from poverty and despair to gladness and wealth. Sort of like when the Lord Jesus saved us from spiritual poverty to making us new creations in Christ. Without hope, Naomi and Ruth had no hope. Talk about despair unless the Redeemer stepped forward. From certain death to new life. That's not a type of Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Just want to remind you 
those of you who have been made new creations in Christ. Let me remind you of this. Verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. I'm here to tell you, He was willing to be your Redeemer. He was capable of being your Redeemer. And through His shed blood, He is related to you. It's why He had to be human. It's why He had, God Himself had to be born a man, had to become God incarnate, God in the flesh, so that that debt could be paid in full. And by the way, a Redeemer couldn't just, a kinsman Redeemer couldn't just come along and say, okay, well, I'll buy this part and this part. Now I don't want this part. Okay, now he couldn't do that. He had to buy it all. He had to purchase every bit of it. Look at Titus real quick. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. How much of your iniquity and your sin has God forgiven and redeemed you from? All. All. You know what all means in Greek? I know I've used this before. You know what it means in Greek? All. That's pr- I can even remember that. who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Look at 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's who you were redeemed by. According to Romans 8, 23, now the whole creation, all of creation, everything that was affected affected by the fall is groaning desiring that redemption. Just imagine yourself if you were a widower and you had no hope. Your life was a life of despair. Things were frightening. You were on the verge of starvation. There was no hope. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul tells the church in Ephesus that Gentiles were without hope, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers. Then all of a sudden, there's someone that steps forward and says, I'll redeem you. I'll pay the debt you owed. Not only will I pay the debt you owed, but I'll provide you eternal life. And that's a long time. That's a long time. And if you've not by faith believed and trusted that offer, 
I asked the question, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? It is, we look at the book of Ruth and we go, oh, what a beautiful story. What a wonderful story. How sweet, how touching. That is nothing compared to when Christ Jesus said, it's finished. It is finished. That's touching. When the angel said, he's not here, for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. That's a love story, folks. That's a love story. And by faith, if you've never trusted in this glorious, wonderful, all-gracious God who looked beyond your faults and saw your need, and he met that need. You ever thought about this? What God demanded, a blood sacrifice. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. What God demanded, He became. He became. Wow. What a glorious God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are that you indeed look beyond our faults and there are many. And you saw our need. And you met that need in its fullness. Father, now eternal life is ours. Heaven is real, and I am really going there. Father, we praise your name for that truth. And not only me, but everyone who by faith trusts in, trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who by faith have never trusted you, that this will be the moment this will be the exact time when they say, yes, Lord, I believe. Lord, I want you as my Redeemer. And then I can say, saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. And they can be made new creations. Not by their own works, their own deeds, but based on the complete and finished work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Father, we thank you for that salvation. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning.